As you and I have been studying this past month, we've been studying about things for which you and I are grateful. Today, as we look at that idea of being grateful for something, let's look at the provisions God gives unto us. Now, you can start in the book of Esther, chapter 4 and verse number 17. There in Esther, there's a big problem going on, and the children of Israel are about to be almost wiped out, if you'll allow me to use that phrase, uh, by an, uh, an unforgiving enemy. That is, the enemy even in which uh, land they already live. And it is the fact that Mordecai, Esther's uh, uncle, comes to her and says, It's time for you to go before the king, your husband, and plead your case for your people. As a matter of fact, he says this, Who knows, but as for a time like this, you were sent to the kingdom. Now, in the idea of God's provisions, we're not talking about even His providential provisions, which can be clearly seen through the life of Esther. What we're talking about is the normal day-to-day things that God provides just for me. Man's an interesting creature. His, his thought process is funny. He finds himself to be very strong and very hard and very uh, abrasive at times and is also very soft and can be very moldable. Because I think I'm tough. And I think I can get through this life alone. And I think that my success or my failure in this life depends on me. And in reality and in the scope of the history of humanity, I'm I'm not really anything. I am nothing. I have nothing. And I cannot provide anything. That's mankind. That's how you and I are going to have to view ourselves in order to be successful in this life. Because God... Is everything. Because God provides for all men everything. Even Jesus the Christ said it when he said he sends the rain in in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 25 on the just and also on the unjust. You know, without God, I would not have, I would not be, I could not do anything. And the mindset there is less about me 
and more about what has been provided for me by God. If I live a life to where I do this and I do that and I, 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 what really do I have? Not much of anything. Tell me some songs today that uh, I don't know why I picked those or why I didn't pick those, but they sort of fell right in line, didn't they? Rich, saved, I'm happy. Why is that? Well, I'm rich because of the country in which I live. Who provided that for you? Say, who provided that for you? I'm happy. Why? The provisions God gives us are more than just things. The provision God gives me is a life to live in faithful service to Him. Now, what does He give to you? He gives you the opportunity to choose which one uh, you'll be. Will you be saved and happy? Perhaps you might think you'll be doing things and living life the way you want to outside of the scope of what God would have, and that'll make you happy. Guess what? You can live an entire life that way, and when you find yourself at the end of that life, you're going to say, I never was really happy. I never was really satisfied. Notice what God has provided Simply look at the physical. Just the things that you and I have. Let me let me encourage you to do this too, by the way. If you have never gone off into a mission field for a small period of time, say two, three, maybe even four weeks, and you have opportunity to do that, do it. Here's why. One, you'll be energized, spiritually speaking. But two, if you go outside of the United States, when you get back to whatever airport you will fly into and go through the customs at United, and into the United States, and that customs agent says... Welcome home to the United States. You'll be so happy you could kiss them right in the mouth. And you, you kind of smile at me and say, no, that doesn't happen. Sure it does. Morocco by Guyana, 18 days. No shower. You can bathe in the Amazon. That's right. With the Cayman. And the Anaconda. And the Jaguar. And you'll meet a pocket of folks down there who are faithful to God and have nothing. And they're just as happy as they can be. And it'll rub off on you. You look at the things that you have around your house. The things... uh, did, Did you wear clothes today to church? When you went to your closet and you opened that closet up and you said, No, 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 no. I'll take that. Do you know how much of a blessing that is? To have multiple sets of clothes. You have more physically than Jesus Christ had. He had the suit of clothes on his back. 
and a coat. Got cool in my house last night. I could tell that because my girls were uh, covered up. And then one of them said, it's kind of breezy. You know what that means? It's cold. You know what I did? I went right over to our, our wall and went... And then it got warm inside the house. I didn't have to build a fire. I didn't have to, to work with wood and, and, and to stack those things up in preparation for that. I simply just pressed a button. Because God has provided for me those things. Those are things that we don't think of. I went into my closet or to my chest of drawers this morning and I opened up the drawers and I took out clothing that I would need, an undershirt, socks, all those things, and they were clean and dry. What a blessing that is. We have some people who sit uh, amongst us, us as a younger generation, us who may, may, may have never had to go outside to use a restroom. Who understand the blessings of indoor plumbing. And you say, preacher, that's not a blessing. Well, you want to go back? No. We have the blessing of sitting on padded pews. We have the blessings of, of lights and we have the blessings of, of screens in order to help us study and understand more. Everything that we have is because God has given it to us in order for us to be more faithful to Him, in order for us to, to, to study more properly, in order, in order for us to have those things stick into our head. And even all of those things that we expect to have tomorrow. James 4 in verse number uh, 17, uh, we'll begin by saying, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. What is even our physical life? All of these things that we expect to do. I have plans for tomorrow. I have plans for Tuesday. I have plans for Wednesday. And James will go on to write, For what we should say is if the Lord tarries, we'll do this. Or that. All these physical blessings that we look for and look around, God provided those things for us. Turn over to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You can see it there. Genesis chapter 1. You know what God provides on day number 1? Life. You say, well, that's not a, that's not a very big thing. I don't know. Have you ever been into Ruby Falls? Down, I mean, down into the cave down in there, and then they turn those lights out. I don't, if you've never been in there, let me describe it for you. It's real dark. What do you mean by that? I mean, I mean all the way dark. Even on day number one, God provided for mankind light so we can see what we're doing. Doesn't seem like a lot, does it? How about day two? As the old song would say, oceans and skies of blue. He separated the, the, uh, the uh, water that was above the earth and the water that was on the earth. He began the atmosphere and the water cycle of the earth. Why? 
Because eventually he's going to put people on there who need that atmosphere. Eventually he's going to put animals on there. He's preparing for us. And in day three, day four, day five, and day six, all of those things you and I know from land masses to, to trees and flowers to people and animals, it all happens within six days. And God provides those things for us. And it must be given to us for a reason. Well, what's the reason? Why would He provide those things for me? So I can be happy, right? The fact of the matter is, the answer to that question is no. God provides those things for me so that I can be faithful. Adam, Eve, I have provided for you the physical place known as Eden paradise on this earth, the only thing you have to do is avoid this tree. You know, the more I think about that command, all you need to do is is avoid this particular tree. You need everything else in the garden. Every single thing is, is for you, exception this one thing. The more I think about the the tree that they're not supposed to touch. The more I think, that seems like a pretty easy command. All I had to do was avoid that tree. That's an easy command, right? I don't know. What's your temptation? What's the one thing that would get you? Is it that easy? You say, well, well no, mine didn't. No, 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 not. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, when uh, Satan comes to him and said, what has God said? And they tell him, and he said, you're not, you're not going to die. The shadow of doubt that was cast on the physical crept its way into the spiritual because Adam and Eve did not keep God's law. Because of all the physical things that it gives unto me, because the reason why it gives me those things is that I will stay faithful, that it has to provide something spiritual for me. He has to. Why? Well, look over in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23. For all, that is all of those sound mind, sound judgment, understanding right from wrong, those all have sinned, fallen short of the very glory of God Himself. And so if God provides the physical so that I will stay faithful to Him, He must then provide the spiritual. What does He, what does he provide spiritually? Well, He provides all spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 1 through 7. All of those things are found within Jesus. I'll tell you what. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. All those things are found within Jesus the Christ. And if you and I read that, here's what we'll read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, the saints which are Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace of you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Notice this, 
in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, without blame, before Him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by, the, by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise and the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us uh, accepted and the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. There's a couple of words in there I want you to understand. The idea of Him predestinating us and us being chosen even before the world. Understand this, those that He's speaking of are those who are faithfully obedient. Not you and me individually. This plan... Uh, of obedience to God has been set in motion even before the world began. And it's those who are faithful to that plan who find themselves predestinated to, to be obedient to God. Those who, who are following after God's plan are finding themselves saved by the blood of Jesus the Christ. They're saved by God's plan. John chapter 3 and verse number 16 and verse number 17. Here's what you'll read there. For God so loved the world. What did He do? Well, He said, I love you so much, I'm just going to sweep these transgressions under the rug and this iniquity here and that iniquity there. Oh no. He loved the world, the mass of humanity, those, even those who, who pierced the hands of His Son and pierced His feet loved Him so much that He gave that Son. And verse number 17 will say that His Son came, not, came into the world not to condemn the world, but by Him the world might be saved. And so it was uh, through God's plan that the blessings of Christ are seen. It's through Christ's blood, John, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 15. You and I are not saved, are not, uh, the sacrifice is not made without blood. It's impossible. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 4, you'll read for, without the blood of bulls and goats, there is no remission. For without blood, there is no remission of sin. And how are we going to attain the proper type of blood if we strictly try to use animals? Brethren, understand this fact. That those animal sacrifices found in the Old Testament were simply placeholders until Jesus the Christ could come and be sacrificed on that cross. Find those blessings in God's plan through Christ's blood, but you find them also in an act of faith. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Here you have a man who comes to the church and is naked and destitute of daily food and we... Send him on his way and say, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you're not giving those things that are needful for him. What does it profit? Even so, faith without works is dead. Being alone. And so it is not the case that you and I can simply have faith. We must have an active faith. And Not only is it through the plan of God, not only is it through the blood of Christ, not only is it through active faith, but it's also through submission. Notice Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. Jesus there, speaking that, or preaching that Sermon on the Mount, will say this, Not everyone that saith 
unto me, Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that, notice this phrase, doeth the will of my Father. And so it's not only active faith, but it's also submission to, to what? Well, to what God commands. Seems an interesting idea. Here you have Adam and Eve, and they're walking physically as close as they can to God Himself. As they live in the place known as Eden, they are cheek to cheek with God. The transgression of Adam and Eve happens, and now they're separated. They have willingly taken themselves out of submission to God by following after their own desire. You know what happens every time a person sins? That exact motion. A person has taken themselves out of submission to God or further out of submission to God simply by choosing what they would like to do. And so God providing the physical must provide the spiritual. And while I'm thankful for those things, the things that He provides physically and the things that He provides spiritually, I think I'm most thankful for this. He's provided second chances. Not just a second chance, but multiple second chances. This might be the most important thing He has provided for us. Turn over, if you will, to Acts chapter 8. Might be the very first place you and I see within the church age where second chance is mentioned. So in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria and he begins to preach. And notice uh, verse number verse number uh, 12. When they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God, In the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized. He continued with Philip and wondering, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. This guy named Simon here was a sorcerer. And perhaps you and I have different mindsets about what sorcery or wizardry is. Is because of the time in which we live. We think of a guy with a long gray beard, maybe a long cloak and a big pointy hat like the guy off of the Lord of the Rings. That's probably not what he looked like. Oh, what he does is uh, the dark art of magic. And we're not dealing with, hey, I made this coin disappear, come into this hand, who I like that, sleight of hand kind of stuff. We're not dealing with that. We're not dealing with, hey, pick a card, any card. We're dealing with uh, if you don't pay me to do this or that, I'm going to get this God to do this or that to your house or your family. The, the black art of magic. And so, here you have this sorcerer named Simon who hears and understands and then is obedient to the will of God. He finds himself hearing, he finds himself believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. He finds himself, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47, being added to the church by the Lord. 
If you and I read a little further in Acts chapter 8, it doesn't take very long before Simon realizes that the ability that Philip has or uh, and, and uh, Peter and, and James as they come down from Jerusalem would be very beneficial in the job of sorcery. They seemingly can get anything done they want to do. They begin to heal folks. They begin to teach this. They begin to show that. And so he, he marvels at these things. Verse number 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And that was, as we would say, the cherry on top. He saw them that they could get things and they could give out things simply by putting their hands on other people. And he said, do you know how much money I could make if I could just do that? I don't have a million dollars. What if I offered them a million dollars? What if I? What if they let me to put that million dollars on a payment plan and say, by the, this time next year, I pay all that million dollars off. Then the year after that, I make a million. The year after that, I make a million. You, you know how much money I could make if I had this talent right here. Matter of fact, seems like they can give out anything they want, so they could give it to me. Notice what go, what happens after that. Verse number eighteen. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands on I might, that might receive the Holy Ghost. Did you know he's not asking for the ability to heal or, or the ability to have knowledge or, or faith that would remove mountains. He's asking them for the only gift that was specific to the apostles only. He's asking them for the gift that made the apostles the apostles. The one that was given to them by God. But Peter, verse 20, said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray to God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Hey, let me tell you something about Peter. He didn't just blow that off and say, yeah, maybe he'll learn later on. He said, son... You got a big problem. Now, was it just a couple of days earlier that this Simon, the sorcerer, had been saved of his sin, had been washed and redeemed? But now Peter says, hey, you got a big problem. Eventually, uh, next verse or two, Simon even asks Peter to pray for it. And they do. And he has the opportunity to get back into the good graces and the proper mindset of God. And you say, well, 
Preacher, I, I've never asked God or never tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit from God. And you think that's the only thing? They think that's the only sin you and I could do that, that, would, that would pull us away from God? Some people within, the, within our uh, congregation, perhaps with even, even within the church itself, think that once a person is, is lost, they have to stay lost. That's not true. God does not say, I'm going to give you one shot and after you're baptized, if it doesn't work, you're just going to have to stay lost. Luke chapter 15. You see a parable. Three parables in one really lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And you and I are most familiar probably with the lost son. I would like you to go to that parable in your mind. Here you have a boy who runs away, who turns all of his profit in, or turns all of his inheritance into liquid cash. And he runs away and spends it up. Finds himself in the bottom of a pig pen. Comes to himself. Goes home. Father sees him. Runs out. Falls on his neck. Kisses him. Puts robe on his back. Put a ring on his finger. Puts shoes on his feet. And he says, this, my son who was lost is now found. Let's extend out Luke chapter 15 a little further. Let's suppose that, that 10 years down the road, the son decided to do something else where he made uh, a fault in judgment and he sinned. You think the father would forgive him? Why? Because the father doesn't want us, if we are lost, to stay lost. If your impression of God is that He's sitting up on a cloud somewhere taking ticks and say, well, you've had enough. I'm done with you. You're thrown off to the side. You're not going to be worth anything. Then you're wrong about that idea. God, the loving, gentle, kind God, wants us to come back to Him. Understanding that if we decide to stay lost, we'll be lost forever. But if we want to be saved by Him, there's not a person alive or that will be alive that who wants to be saved by God's plan will not be. There's not a person alive who would want to be saved by God who won't be. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. God, after giving us that second chance, tries to put us in a proper focus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, especially verse 3, you'll see this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the focus. If you want to have the faith that saves, you're going to have to look toward Jesus the Christ. And if you see Him as a baby or a child growing up in, in Nazareth, you're looking at the wrong one. You need to look at the one whose hands are bleeding, whose head is bleeding, whose back is, looks like ground beef, and who is, who is trying to, to push himself up, sucking up for air, who's dying for me. That's the author and the finisher of my faith. That's the one who I look at and I say, 
He can go through all of that. Why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? He did that for me. Why won't I do this or that or this other for Him? And we need to know and understand that the second chances of God that we are so thankful for, these second chances are readily available anytime you and I still have breath on this side of eternity. We live a life in preparation to see God. We live a life having a desire to see God. We, we live a life in worship and service to God. And one of these days, you and I will see it face to face. And we need to take advantage of every opportunity He gives us on this side of eternity. As we close this month's work of thinking about what we should be thankful for, let me close with this one verse. You and I... As we look at our lives and we look at the things that we have, the things that have been provided and and God's grace and mercy that's been extended to us, you and I should be thankful for every single moment that we have. First Chronicles 16, 34, here's what you'll read. Give thanks unto the Lord for He is good and His love endureth forever. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a God that loves me, that cares for me, and that provides for me.